You're listening to a 95BFM podcast. Rising sea levels forces Fiji's villages to relocate. For years, politicians and scientists have been talking about a future of migration caused by climate change. In Fiji, this migration has already begun. The question is now how to actually do it. I spoke with Mera Walisi Yi, who is Fijian and is pursuing a PhD at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. We spoke about the situation in Fiji. Her project seeks to understand human migration in Fiji caused by climate change and the role of mobility in climate change adaption. Why is Fiji so susceptible to the impacts of climate change? You know, Fiji, Fiji is, is made up of more than 300 islands and, and the two major islands, Vitilevo and Vonolevo, majority of the communities, they are coastal communities. They're located at in, in areas that are vulnerable to the impacts of climate change, such as uh, sea level rise, coastal erosion, saltwater intrusion. And on top of that, uh, Fiji also lies in the path of uh, the tropical cyclones. So with, with the impacts of climate change and then those uh, rapid impacts of Natural of natural disasters, it just makes Fiji, um, you know, more vulnerable um, to these changes. In I think in 2016, in the last five years or so, Fiji has had two uh, has been uh, hit by two major cyclones, Category Five tropical cyclones. Uh, one in 2016, tropical cyclone Winston, and the other one in 2020. Tropical cyclone Yasa. Those are two category five cyclones. And then we had COVID pandemic, which even just exacerbated the impacts of, of, of climate impacts. Yeah. And how has climate change driven migration of Fiji villages in the recent years? Um, so, you know, after 2016, after tropical cyclone Winston hit Fiji, the category five one the government of Fiji carried out a vulnerability assessment and that's where they announced that more than 800 communities in Fiji are vulnerable and and in need of relocation, more than 800 communities. Out of that 800, 40 are prioritized. They urgently need to relocate. And so far, as of 2022, as we speak, six communities have been relocated and I think two are in the waiting list. Relocation is is the last resort after all you know adaptation uh, measures in situ has been uh, exhausted. So relocation is the last resort. But then you know now they there's evidence that for some communities it's said to say that, they will have to resort to to relocation. It will become inevitable for them. But then again, like in terms of relocation, there are some communities, there will be some communities that will choose not to relocate. Yeah, what are their, their motivation? You know, for us in the Pacific, our connection to our land is is something that we hold very dear to our heart. You know, these, you know, for us, land is not just a physical, um, physical dimension, like the way the Western 
perceive the meaning of land. It's not just, you know, uh, a region or a spot. We, we are going to publish a paper on um, a village called Serua Island. This, this community has been earmarked to relocate, but they choose freely not to relocate. And, and the reason, one of the reasons for them not choosing to, to stay is their connection to their land. And this is something that needs to be incorporated moving forward when, when government or implementing agencies, when they come into the communities, this is something that needs to be embedded in the relocation process. You need to take into account these intangible connections because for us in the Pacific, in Fiji, when you talk about migration, when you talk about relocation, it's more than giving up material possessions. It means much more than that, yeah. Mm, is, that, is that the biggest challenge villagers yeah. and communities experience? Yes, for some communities, um, it's that connection to their land, the connection to their um, livelihoods, their sacred grounds. Their, you know, they fear that if they do relocate, they do move, it dislocates them, it breaks that bond and that connection to 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 their land. And with land comes their sacred ground, their cultural heritage, uh, their traditional knowledge, traditional medicinal knowledge. So it's more than just giving up those material possessions like your house. It's totally different from the Western perspective. Do you... Do you know people that had to relocate? Uh, well, with my PhD uh, um, research, I visited one, two, three, four, four communities. So my my research is is trying to is is trying to look at the different uh, types of uh, relocation and trying to figure out better practices to move people so that when they do move, you know, they move, you know, in a holistic way. It's not that they are moving and then where they end up, there's, you know, vulnerability does not reduce, but increases even or worsens for them. So I have been to four communities. So I looked at four communities at different uh, stages. So my first community, that's the paper we're going to, that's going to be out It's going to be published probably next week from the Frontiers Journal. Is looking at Serua Island. So this community is earmarked for relocation, but they choose not to relocate. They want to remain on the island for as long as that they can uh, protect the island. And then I have another community that the second one that we're going to publish next year is another village in Fiji that's planning to relocate. And then my third village is a village that's relocated, but they relocated on their own without the help of government. And my last case study is a village that's already been relocated. So I'm looking at this whole spectrum of relocation, the different stages, the challenges, the constraints, you know, the enablers that will allow people to relocate 
but you know, take into account, you know, relocate in such a way that they are safe from the impacts of climate change and disaster, but at the same time, they get to preserve their way of life. Mm. And what are some of your findings in the in the in your research? How how do you in a can you relocate in a holistic way? Well, the first, well, at the moment, the first one I can talk about right now is the paper that we're going to publish is you know when 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 you want to relocate a community first and foremost you must acknowledge you know you must acknowledge and you know the values and the perspective of the, of the people affected you need to have full get them get their full participation in in implementing that project of relocation because at the end of the day you know they they are the ones that that's experiencing the the problem or the the impacts of climate change so the closer they are to the problem i think they are the closest to the solution as well so that is one of the key takeaway from our first paper that it's so important to 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 always take on board the people that are affected their you know their perspective uh their their you know valuable insights That was Meravalisi Yi from the University of Queensland explaining her research. I also spoke with Leba Ganavinaka, who is a climate change adaptation specialist at the Fijian Ministry of Climate Change. She is part of a special government task force in Fiji that has been trying to work out how to move the country's communities. The result of the task force is a document called The Standard Operating Procedures for Planned Relocations. It's a plan trying to tackle one of the most urgent problems of the climate change. How to relocate communities whose land is soon inhabitable. Why is uh, this such an important document? Fiji launched its um, planned relocation guidelines in 20, uh, COP24 uh, in Poland, right? That is, uh, it's like responding to the need of communities that have requested to be supported by the state to relocate to safer grounds. Okay, so it's also part of our effort to um, for climate adaptation, you know, interventions that can help these communities and build building resilience in these, uh, you know, most impacted villages. Uh, but specifically, this this planned relocation guideline, we've already been we've already started relocating communities before the guidelines. There became a need to have that enabling environment at the national level, the policy um, arrangements that can drive, effectively drive and govern this work. Okay, so we are not just responding to it ad hoc, like when there's a disaster and we um, make the relevant assessments and we determine that if a site is inhabitable or it will frequently have this sort of extent of impact, and they relocate based on that ad hoc request. So we wanted to have like a national, uh, nationally recognized, you know, uh, guideline to help that work. That was why we had uh, we had the planned relocation guideline developed, but it's a guideline. It's like, um, you know, it, it lays out the principles that need to be followed, that need to be embedded, uh, that need to be considered when you're relocating these communities. And it's, it's essentially, like a framework, a, a general guide. Now, what we needed beyond that, what we needed are the specific details on how exactly we, we're doing this. 
and that's the that's where the need for a standard operating procedure comes in how how do you do that democratically we need evidence that majority of the residents require that in the sop it mandates that we require 90% of consent to trigger the process not consent to relocate consent to trigger so for government to consider the request it requires 90% of people that are living in that affected community before we come in with our the whole process goes into play even when you trigger the process throughout the screening and scoping phase they can always pull out they can always say oh uh, we changed our mind and we, we don't what did you that. notice with the six communities that already relocated some of the communities say when they have relocated to the new site because you relocated them from a coastal community and took them inland the site was considered safe but you change their livelihoods you know it's not just like change like uh, relocating houses you know we relocated lives and their livelihood changed they were used to you know depending on the sea but then you move them inland and of course from that there were dissident residents that said we did not really want uh, relocation but what we are putting in in place now is an actual form where you verify an- another principle of relocation is uh, the those in the guideline is having ensuring that it's a lively livelihood based approach um what what is what do you mean with a livelihood based approach yeah so ensuring that the plan relocation pr- process needs to be sensitive uh, to the specific needs of communities and households that are on the maybe on the move eh? so cataract cat- so we have community profiling as part of gis we do a thorough comprehensive risk vulnerability assessment and the team that is doing that assessment includes agriculture fisheries forestry the livelihood uh, sectors to assess and ensure that the livelihoods at the new site would be sustainable to ensure that they have livelihood opportunities and that it is uh, not like a drastic change from what they had what could other, have- what could other countries learn from this plan to tackle climate migration it has to thoroughly address the situation the context of the country but we didn't set out you know trying to compare it with other countries it was essentially to make it as relevant and suitable as possible in the context of fiji what are the challenges for fijian villagers if they have to relocate of course like for us you know fijians it's a big it's a big thing but we we are we've always been moving and migrating that's kind of part of the culture you hear like for us we we live in the city in the urban centers we are from the outer islands in the second furthest island for me for example it's it's something we've always had but you kind of like you know you we are used to moving places moving for other you know economic opportunities and other things internal movement but this case is unique it's different because you're actually moving a whole village and there have been cases before in in the past when you well, whole villages move for similar reasons because there was a major landslip or there was like a major hazard that you know destroyed a lot of the village and they moved on their own and some still do to this day without requesting state state support they move people to a nearby land that they've you know coordinated between neighboring clans to move people to that still happens but here we're talking about like state supported you know like the state will finance all of that so 
it, it it's kind of you know really detaching yourself from your heritage from the land that you your the land of your ancestors so that of course is the major challenge that is the number one reason why people hesitate to relocate it's that attachment to that place and for us it's a big thing it's a big deal to we have our land is like part of our identity for them, that 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 is the number one. I would say that cultural impact is the number one, um, the, the most difficult challenge. That was Labour Ganifinaka sharing the plan she helped making how to relocate Fijian communities on a national level whose land is in- inhabitable because of climate change. That was a 95BFM podcast. To hear more, head to 95BFM.com slash bcasts.